I just like enjoy that because I think about what the classroom space is without joy and laughter. And right now, other examples of just, I really enjoy being in the classroom space, especially the work that's gone into creating that community. Uh, it's not perfect. There are days that are tough, but yeah. it's just like, even like some of the more difficult kids that used to be a conversation in the hallway and all sorts of these different levers. Now it's just like the look and the nod mm-hmm. and we're back on track. And you, those are things that don't show up always in like in the data or in all the different reports that we talk about, but certainly not on, and certainly not on teacher evaluation rubrics, Marcus. Yeah. I mean, To the Broken Copier, a conversation about teaching. Uh, my name is Jim Mares. And my name is Marcus Luther. Uh, so some reminders about the show. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to folks working in the classroom. Most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier. You can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream and to just text your friends a link to an episode uh, so they can tune in as well. Marcus, it's been a little while. Welcome back, my friend. How you doing? Happy 2023. Happy 2023. Yeah, we made it. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. And I think as we've navigated all the variables of winter break, family, uh, getting back to school in January, and at least I'll be honest on my end, but I'm sure this relates to a lot of people listening. It's been a grind the last mm-hmm. few weeks. Just like the, sometimes I get to my classroom and I'm like, I made it. Like if I'm here. I'm going to be here today. I'm just going to appreciate uh, that with all the stuff going around. It just, so I'm just very, it's going to be back here as well on the podcast. And yeah, I think today our goal is to get into three things that really matter in our classrooms right now, because we think at least some of them might matter in yours. Uh, so for today's episode, we're going to dive right into something that's going well in our rooms in this hard stretch of January every year, uh, discussing our thoughts of what should the end of a semester look like? Uh, especially in like high schools with assessments and then shifting to a very nuts and bolts conversation about choices schools are making right now with chat GPT. So we're going to stay out of like the broad philosophical stuff more and like just talk about if you're in the room, having that conversation, what's being said and what's going to be done. So those Mm -hmm. are our focuses for today. Uh, And I guess before all of that, like Jim, how's it going? We haven't talked in a while. Uh, It's going well. Yeah, I know. Um, It's good to see you. Um, our holiday break was fantastic. We went, uh, to Cleveland's, uh, when we stayed with my wife's family for a little while and we had, we took all three dogs out there, uh, which was interesting. It was one of their bigger trips. Uh, and then, you know, coming back, we had, so we just wrapped up semester finals. Um, so we're done on, uh, you know, Monday coming up, we are kicking off semester two, um, 
and we come back. It's kind of like a weird break that we have on our schedule because we have holiday. We break for the holidays and then we come back and there's like kind of a week and a half of review. And then we have then we have a semester exam week. Um, and then starting next week, we'll have we'll have the official start of semester two. Um, there's pros and cons to it. I've talked to, you know, what my old instructional coach, I was talking with him about it and he made the good point because I was initially like, this doesn't make sense. Like, how can we come back? And there's just like such a, like, why don't we just get exams over with before we go for holiday break? And his point was, well, the kids are really burnt out at the end, like right before holiday break, which is a good point. But it also just feels kind of like this strangely weird in between space when we come back, uh, which is meant to be for review before, like meant to be for like review and getting back into things. Um, but it's, you know, it's a little strange and awkward, but we made it work and and it's going pretty well. So how about you? Uh, we're, we're just about into that space. So we actually get like three and a half weeks before that same sequence. And we're going to talk more about that sequence, yeah. uh, later on this conversation. Uh, so for me, it's definitely been like, like break was good in terms of trying to able to really just like put work aside. Uh, mm-hmm. and I've been early in my career, I would always make the mistake of, Oh, I have this break coming. So I'm going to schedule all these due dates right before yeah, take no. this big stack of things into break to do. And I've, yeah. I've very intentionally stopped doing that, yeah. which has been very helpful for me. And I only choose things that I would enjoy. So uh, the only thing that I had do was the narrative poem project that uh, my classes do. And then I was able to just slowly do audio feedback uh, on them piece by piece mm-hmm. over break, which I like. I enjoy reading them. I enjoy just like talking about and celebrating them. And then when we got back, we do like their first thing back is our uh, affirmation gallery uh, feedback where they're like writing notes of affirmation to each other. Uh, so it's just like, it is a really cool way to bring them back into our classroom community too. So feeling yeah. good about that, of course, exhausted uh, like so many others, but uh, let's just given that exhaustion right now, uh-huh. like what's something that's going well in your classroom? Because I think it's important to continue centering that like yeah there's hard things yeah there's frustrations but what like what's something that's going well or something you're looking forward to as you begin your second semester take it the way you want yeah um i'm gonna nerd out uh you know i you'll appreciate this because it's some english teacher nerdy stuff uh but i'm going to say rhetorical analysis is going really well in our classroom for ap lang um i obviously have a lot of back and forth and complicated feelings about the actual AP Lang test. Um, But one of the types of essays that students need to be really good at, and I also happens, I happen to think that this is a really important uh, skill to be able to do is rhetorical analysis, analyzing uh, speakers, audience and purpose and determining values and emotions uh, given a particular audience. And so as part of their semester final, they are given an on-demand rhetorical analysis uh, prompt and essay, which again, you know, I'm not sure really where I land about that, but I have, you know, they need to be able to do a certain amount of writing and writing in a particular way um, in order to be strong, uh, get a strong score on the AP test. 
And those essays were really good. We had uh, their their insight into uh, the values and the nuances and like the way a speaker will make uh, particular rhetorical choices given the audience. And the thing like, um, and this is sort of the nerdy part, like you don't, you don't want to just stay stuck in, well, here the speaker is using a metaphor and the metaphor here means, um, you know, this is a symbol of the economy or the, you know, the working class. You want to move beyond recognizing rhetorical devices. And a lot of times students will say, oh, check it out. That's a simile or that's irony or that's imagery or whatever. And for a long time leading up to 11th grade, that's like what they do. But you, with rhetorical analysis, you want to push them beyond that to say, okay, what might this metaphor represent and why, given who the audience is, did this like does it make sense to use that particular rhetorical device and that's like a level of sophistication and nuance that can be difficult for high school students because like just um it's hard for kids to put themselves in other people's shoes generally it's hard for human beings to put themselves in other people's shoes generally so you have to there's like these multi layers of like i have to put myself in the speaker's shoes one as i'm reading this and I have to put myself in the audience's shoes and think about what do they value and what do they like. And, um, you know, it definitely, it wasn't, we have some room to grow, but it was, they overall, um, the scores were higher and the writing was a lot clearer and sharper. Um, and it was good. I was really proud of them. And I'm excited to celebrate that uh, starting next week when I do all the exam feedback. Awesome. Uh yeah, and we, we at some point we can have like a just a pure AP Lang lit rhetorical analysis episode that'll Let's really like that. shatter <laughs> shatter our numbers. Uh-huh. Yeah, because <laughs> I have like fifty things ping ponging, but I'm gonna pivot. Yeah, for the sake of our non AP Lang lit teachers listening, uh, for me something I wanted I was just thinking about with this question. Uh, there's just been a lot of laughter in my classroom in a, in a mm-hmm. good sense. Uh, it's just been, we've had moments where we've just kind of created space for laughter. A lot of times directed at me, I had a, a little GIF image of uh, Coach Dable of the New York Giants. Yeah, out of the, I out saw of the your tweet about yesterday. that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a student, very nice, kind, sweet student uh, asked if that was me, uh, the incredibly bald, very much older Ryan Dable. Uh, it was very humbling as the whole class just lost it. And it was one of those like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like lost it for like 10 seconds. It was like solid minutes of laughter where I'm just standing awkwardly and accepting uh, yeah. what middle-aged teaching is. Uh, but, it, yeah. you know, it was just like, I just like enjoyed that because I think about what the classroom space is without joy and laughter. And right now other examples of just, I really enjoy being in the classroom space, especially the work that's gone into creating that community. Uh, It's not perfect. There are days that are tough, but it's just like even like some of the more difficult kids that used to be a conversation in the hallway and all sorts of these different levers. Now it's just like the look and the nod Mm -hmm. and we're back on track. And those are things that don't show up always in like the data or in all the different reports that we talk about, but certainly not on and, certainly not on teacher evaluation rubrics, Marcus. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just 
I am trying to make sure, especially at this moment in the year, that those positive things, whether the being mocked by my entire class for my in, still aggressively receding hairline, or uh, just having a look with a kid that took a while to get that look, to get them back on track, uh, yeah. those things matter too. But yeah. I, yeah, go for it. Well, no, I was just, well, one, I, you know, we're in our early thirties, right? So like the hairline, the hair is receding a bit, but middle age teaching, I don't know if we're there yet. Middle decade of a, like a 30 yeah. year career. That's so. true. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, that's early thirties. Might, we might be losing that phrase too. I, 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 I think mm-hmm. 33, I, are you at the point where you struggle with keeping yep. like how old you are? Like people oh, are yeah. asking, I have to actually do the math. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there. For okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I just wanted to say, though, I mean, I, I, I love that you called that out because I think it just makes me think so much about um, what was lost in remote instruction and how much I it's just how much people don't really understand that that is like that classroom space and the jokes and the one off lines and the kids coming in to chat with you about uh, their weekend or your weekend in between passing periods. And like that really is a core fundamental part of teaching that I think you can really, you really only understand if you have taught before or are, or are currently teaching. Um, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm excited for you. I, I, I felt similar, similarly about the classroom culture, just like excited to get back, excited to get back to some of the routines um, and the fun and positivity. And I don't know, it's just a good reminder that like <laughs> in-person instruction matters a lot, which I think is obvious to all of us, but also like why, you know, why we like the work and why it's fun. Yeah. Though I, I, there's there, every once in a while, there's like the nostalgia of me of that, that chat box on zoom with that year of online. Yeah. That chat box got pretty. It got pretty cool sometimes. Uh, but it anyhow, did. I think you're right. Like I, I appreciate you noting that. So I want to go back to what you were talking about for our first kind of main conversation point, because uh, I got stuff that's bothering me, and I wanted mm-hmm. to bring it up with you and get your viewpoints on it. Yeah. Uh, and it has to do with how should a semester end, especially with like secondary schools, and this idea of like finals week, as you noted, we have it at our school. And district because uh, very often that's how uh, a school year ends but also how the semester ends and yeah. the reasoning that I get is oh students need to learn to be prepared for this end of course final that they spend mm-hmm. all their time studying for and when, so often what it looks like in, in is that you these kids get incredibly stressed they have eight upwards of finals in a given week uh, and they get this assessment, this multiple choice assessment, a lot of times because teachers don't have time to give authentic feedback on writing, et cetera, in that time constraint. Uh, and then they might switch courses, switch teachers. I know in your class, you're going to give the feedback and talk with them. So there'll be more of a sequence to it. But I just like, we know that students need time and space to process feedback, not to mention to advocate for themselves if after seeing the feedback from their teachers about their learning but we take the most important assessment of the year and we put it right at the finish line. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about classroom community. How is that to end a classroom community? I have some students who switch 
students or teachers at a semester uh, at a bigger school. And then we do this again at the end of the year where like the last thing you do in a classroom is you walk in hundred uh, percent silence, fill out a high stakes test, hand it to your teacher. Mm-hmm. See you later. I, I just, mm-hmm. I don't get why we still do this. Like it just yeah. doesn't make sense to me if we are going to value learning and value community and rapport and relationships. Like why can't we just move it up two weeks and then do all the feedback and stuff later? I, I just, I am struggling with this conceptually. Yeah. And the only argument I get, and I posted this online, the only argument I got was, well, that's what they need to be prepared for. So it's basically yeah. like, we need to keep doing the status quo so that they're ready for the status quo. I'm like, well, we know that that's a bad argument. Like, what's the better one? So, okay, mm-hmm. that's my rant, Jim. I love the, the rant. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of uh, different and competing and complicated thoughts, I think. Um I think a helpful way for me to, to start answering this, because the short answer to your question is I don't really think I know the answer other than I want to elevate um, in that space at the end of the semester. I think it's very important fundamentally to just elevate time for reflection and say, you know, the, making sure students have time to say, look back on all their work and be proud of what they have done. So that is where I'm approaching the entire conversation from and is something that just doesn't really happen often enough. It doesn't like reflection and celebration, I think is often put on the back burner in service of like learning the quote unquote new content. Um, But like, you're almost never going to lock stuff in if you don't reflect on it and celebrate it and say, this is why something was really good. Um. So that said, I'll describe how what I did for my semester exam and why, and then I'll talk about what I already know I'm going to change for next year. So we have, you know, this is going to get some technical stuff with AP Lang, uh, which again, maybe you please don't tune out listeners. I know it's nerdy and boring, but it is what it is. And hopefully you're listening to this podcast because you're also a teacher nerd. So you get it. Um, all right, so the AP Lang test, it's a monstrous test. Uh, it's very long, and uh, the way that it works is they have a one-hour multiple-choice reading section, uh, which I do generally think is a well-written assessment of the ways in which a student, like a, an, the ability for a student to prove and show that they can understand a text at a complex level. I think that the way multiple choice can be rolled out and be super stressful and pressure ridden and on the standard, I think that's problematic. But like in general, I think that those multiple choice questions are good, are a good assessment of, you know, how accurate and how well they're reading. So they have that. And then they have three essays, rhetorical analysis, an argument essay and an FRQ. Or I mean, a synthesis at FRQ is, is that what the abbreviation is for the essay. I gave, Uh, And my semester block is 90 minutes long. Each teacher has 90 minutes. So that's not enough. That's not enough time uh, for like to simulate the full AP Lang exam. So before the essay, before our exam window, quote unquote, I gave two of the essays in class as like a timed writing prompt. The argument FRQ, the argument essay uh, was a was the end of unit writing reflection. So we had been doing um, 
this unit on the purpose of education, which kids really loved. And we read a bunch of essays about it. And so the prompt was um, write a commencement speech in which you personally argue for your own purpose of education. Um, and the commencement speech was used as like a framing device and, and kids got really into it and it was cool. And, and in general, because they had, because they had read a bunch of essays and we had had a Socratic seminar and we had discussed about it, they scored really well on those essays because it's a personal, it was a personal sort of manifestation of here's what I think the purpose of education is. Um, and that went really well, but it was different than what they would have to quote unquote be ready for because on the AP Lang exam, they will not have, you know, weeks of reading and discussion to prep and think, et cetera. Then the second day, uh, before the exam week. So the Friday before the exam week, I did give them a cold timed synthesis essay prompt where you come in, you read four sources and you answer an argumentative question, which again, I think is a good overall process and a necessary skill for a writer to be able to do. But the time constraints are something that I struggle with then. So that's two out of the three essays. Then, um, we did the rhetorical analysis FRQ, which a student again has only 45 minutes to do. And then I had to cut. So that means we now only have 45 minutes for the, what is supposed to be an hour long reading multiple choice block. So we just did that. And I cut, uh, I cut 25% of the available questions to make it a reasonable score for their, for their score. In general, I was happy. I was really proud because something that um, has been hard for students is just writing stamina period. And like the ability to come in and sit down and write like three, two to three paragraph essays in 45 minutes or whatever. Um, they did that very well. Like some students who had not done that all year were able to sit down and do that. Um, which part of the reason that I think that happens is the stress of, well, I know this is a really big grade and Mayors wants me to write a whole bunch. So I'm just going to like write a bunch. I don't love that. I don't, I wish that I don't think that that's like the best reason or way to motivate someone to progress as a writer. Um, but that is sort of, and the semester exam is worth 20% overall of their semester grade, which is the most important thing that gets calculated into their GPA. Um, so that's how it did, did actually look. And I would say a couple of things about it. I do think that there is space and value for a large, a large summative like display of what you, what you're able to do in this class now. Um, but I do agree with you a lot. I think that that, if that is not paired with really important, like really meaningful reflection on here's what I'm able to do now. And here is what I want to be able to do as a human being in my life. Not just not, not because it's the standardized test, but like, I want to be able to write and communicate really well. If you're not making the time and space to, um, reflect on that and have an actual checkpoint and the teacher say, this is where you are on the rubric. This is where, you, this is where you've come on the rubric. Um, 
then a lot of that gets really lost. And I do, and I do think that, um, that, that is just, that's to me, that reflective piece of looking at what you have done is where people should focus on the end of the semester rather than having this big test at the end of the unit or having this big test at the end of the semester. So I've been rambling a little bit, but I would say that, um, Next year, I'm moving all of the essays up, and the actual exam block will be the revision piece of partner feedback on the rubric. You have this handwritten draft of a short essay, and within this exam block, and it'll have to be, in order to do all of the essays, it'll have to be, um, multi it'll still have to be before the actual exam window, but the revision and the final draft typing process to me is really where the value is in terms of moving someone as a writer. I love that. Uh, I was going <laughs> to ask about that. Like if that was available to you to have that flexibility, because I know some schools, you know, I've been at schools where you don't have that flexibility right. I do at my current school, which I'm appreciative of uh, because that, that seems like the only missing piece would be like to create space for that revision and reflection at the end. If, and just moving because all those things sounded really important and valuable. I love the commencement speech application of skill, uh, but to just move them up and then create space in your room, because I know for me, like a big learning is you got to create the space for the feedback to be processed and interacted mm -hmm. with in your classroom. And uh, for me, I'm also like, that's a lot. I know you have a process to move through them quickly. That's a lot of essays and writing to get feedback on. It's, yeah, it was it was almost 400 pages of essay grading. And I was sitting in my classroom, I tweeted out a picture of it. And I was like, thrilled that it was done. But I was I was cranking through this feedback. And I was just like, this is not this is not the best way to have students internalize where they are on the rubric. Like I would much rather have them write the essay. Sure, you want to do a time 40 minute, whatever. Let's do that. Then the next day in class, you trade with a partner, you have the rubric printed out, your partner reads the essay, you read your partner's essay, you both talk about where you think you are on the rubric, you can fill out the template, and then you type up the final draft and make the edits in real time that you would have wanted to make. And then, then AI as the teacher have already a pretty accurate sense of what their actual rubric score is. And as I look through their final drafting process, um, I can lock those scores in on the rubric pretty easily without like a, without the top, like starting from scratch like I was this year. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I also really appreciate how you're lean, you're still given those constraints that are leaning into written assessment for the most part, because I mm -hmm. look, I've, I've had conversations with teachers who are like, oh, don't have enough time to grade them before the grades are due. So here's the scantron. Right. Boom, done, turn it in. Now I can, you know, kick back. And that's, I mean, I've gone on rants in, on here before about multiple choice being in iso in isolation. Yeah. A really bad way to assess learning and to provide feedback. What we're doing in our classroom is similar to what you were kind of talking about. Like we basically last week uh, was their essay writing week. This upcoming week, they have their multiple choice uh, excerpt. And our seminar, which is like a, in the fishbowl setting, so the smaller groups conversations mm -hmm. that are all different parts, like kind of a multi-pronged assessment. That's a big part of their grade. 
And then they get all their feedback, like you're talking about, in that final period. And they've been mm-hmm. keeping an ongoing writing story document. I know I've shared online where basically every time they do any piece of writing, and it doesn't have to be analytical. It can be like their narrative or their creative project. They write about on an ongoing Google Doc, what was their process to complete that writing? Further, they get their feedback and they have to process that feedback. Okay, what do I want to take from this feedback? What do I learn? What did I learn about myself as a writer? And they basically, I mean, this is a document that probably has three to 400 words on it for most of them uh, with every different writing sample. So they're going to get their new uh, feedback back. They'll process it, add to their document, and then they're going to annotate their own self-reflection page and, you know, go through the same process we use with thoughts and questions and epiphanies. They're going to annotate it. And they're going to discuss that in small groups, then whole class. Like, what is their journey as a writer up to this point in the semester? Uh, the other thing they'll do, we'll do some classroom community stuff to close out in the end of our window. But if, if someone comes to me and says, like, well, why, why aren't you doing the high stakes test? I'm like, one, they're we doing did. the big assessments. I can prove yeah. you the learning that they did. Like, they did it. Uh, yeah. Two, if the virtue of high stakes is the high stakes themselves and the stress, like that's not, that's like inflicting. Oh, yeah. and, that, and that's not what you're doing. But so often I, I just think we say, here's the system. Let's just lean into the system. Uh, no matter the consequences. And I just, I, I believe we're, we've moved past that in a lot of our discourse, but I feel like the tried and true tradition of semester finals are stubborn ones. And it yeah. just has been on my mind. I, I really loved hearing your reflection just because it seemed like it was the direction I'm hoping we move more, but I don't know. Like, have, have, do you feel like there's pushback even to what you're doing, or people not liking that? Um, I mean, I'm fortunate to work in a place that is ready and willing to. Um, no, there. I, I don't have a lot of pushback. I felt like personal, like pushback i was like i don't think this feels a little too good to be true i don't think people are going to like this but i talked with my ap who i think she and i are very aligned on what good humanities instruction looks like um she's totally down with it she thinks it's a good idea so no i i don't i personally don't experience that type of pushback but i know that there is a lot of it and like that people sort of have this strangely um locked in sense of what college is supposed to be or when they get to college you need to do x y and z and it's like well not really because first of all professors in college are so uniquely different in a lot of ways and like also just because like up this is the way that professors supposedly operate um that's not that doesn't that doesn't automatically mean it's good like that is that isn't why we should do a process like we shouldn't like prep kids to have a mean professor that's not that's not useful um so yeah like really doubling down on having a product having a thing that you can say this is what i did overall this was my process and here's what i want to do and just reflecting on what do you want to do differently how do you make it better and just really staying firm in those places 100 percent. and i think for me the barometer is have I am I giving assessments in my classroom in a way that gives authentic feedback to students and create space for them to process, interact, and to be fair, advocate for themselves if they think that feedback's incorrect. 
And if you're not creating that space, which I am guilty of in earlier parts of my career quite often, like my question is why? And like, we, mm-hmm. are you like insecure that you don't want to share, like discuss the feedback with students uh, and have them like have a chance to challenge if they think like a question's wrong? It's like, those are healthy conversations and then they deserve the ability, like the time and space to process that feedback. If you're going to invest so much time, you had 400 papers like in front of you. Mm-hmm. Why not create space for them to do some yeah. stuff with that feedback in your own classroom? And I think a lot of educators are on board with that. But then so often we just like close our eyes and say, oh, we know that's all true, but it's semester finals week. So we're going to do it the wrong way for the mm-hmm. biggest thing of the year quite often. And uh, that's just been bugging me. So I appreciate you letting me vent and process it in this space. Yeah. One thing before we pivot to our next uh, feedback monster, um, I would want to name though too, like one, you actually, you need super efficient um, grading systems and routines. And like, I just want to name a, it can be hard to generate the actual feedback in the first place, especially with humanities or longer pieces of writing. Teachers have super tough time constraints and are navigating all kinds of strange district politics, which leads me to the second point. Like a lot of times teachers are like doing what doing something that they don't that they wouldn't choose necessarily if it were entirely up to them. And so I do think like this is a systemic um problem and like you know if you i would just want to say like if you are in a position where you like gave a semester final that you didn't love the process and we're like like we're not trying to blame you for that necessarily but uh instead just articulating why are we doing some of this stuff that doesn't seem to serve students very well yes thank you thank you for uh taking my tone and making sure it wasn't directed uh in an accusatory fashion. I do believe there are teachers who have a position who could choose yeah. to do otherwise and don't, but yeah. you're right. There are many, and I've been in that space where like you are required to give a final that includes this type of question of this percent of their grade on this day. And it has to look a certain way. And I, if you're in that system, I would say that's a conversation to push in your power and agency uh, beyond the classroom, but I get how there are constraints that, including like deadlines, if, if they're saying, hey, you need oh, yeah. grades the next day, uh, mm-hmm. you can't really do the type of authentic feedback that Jim was talking about. So uh, we're going to, if you're okay with this, Jim, I think yeah, we're going to pause on this and shift gears uh, to the chat GPT conversation about nuts and yeah. bolts on a following episode. So we're going to, we, we realize that we have gone we are both people who like to go on and on. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to make it snappier in twenty. We're going to make this a little snappier in 2023. <laughs> we're going to cut the episode here. And the next episode that will be released is going to follow up on that conversation with ChatGBT. So really appreciate you all listening and appreciate this conversation about semester finals. Uh, good luck going over your feedback and uh, wish me luck, I guess, on mine. Uh, in the Good luck, ahead. Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Uh, Great to see you. And um, yeah, best of luck to you and and all your students as you look forward to a productive and fruitful and hopefully not super stressful second semester. Same to you. Take care. Take care, Marcus. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. 
The show is written, hosted, and produced by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, on Instagram at banduncivilized, and online at uncivilizedtom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with Tom, just like I do. Thanks to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. You can leave us an audio message at podinbox.com slash brokencopier. We might be able to respond and feature it in the next episode. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.